Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Jack Reynolds, and I serve the congregation as a Stephen minister. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads in prayer. O gracious and holy God, give us diligence to seek you, wisdom to perceive you, and patience to wait for you. Grant us, O Lord, a mind to meditate on you, eyes to behold you, ears to listen for your word, a heart to love you, and a life to proclaim you. Through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in the praise of the glory of God.
Let us give thanks to the Lord with our whole hearts. Let us bow down before God and give thanks for God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And for on the day we called, God answered. Let us worship God. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. In humble gratitude for what Christ has done for us, and in the sure knowledge that our merciful Father loves us, with a tender and everlasting love, let us pray together the prayer of confession. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed 
by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now with believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us all greet our neighbors in the love of Christ. Good morning. 
Welcome to Church of the Palms for worship here in the sanctuary and on the television. And it is a very nice dry day. And actually, I'm enjoying it. It's monsoon, just like home where I grew up. And I would like to also um, reintroduce our guest preacher, Dr. Walworth. In fact, he may have prayed for this water from heaven. So welcome, Dr. Walworth. And we have um, friendship pets. Please sign in and pass along the pews. Blood Mobile is here today, and um, all are welcome to donate blood between 9.30 and 12.30 in the North Parking Lot. And all types of blood are needed and welcome. New member class is at 10.15 in the chapel reception room. Um, Carolyn Wilson will be leading. And also, Day of Hope. It's very exciting. We are getting closer and closer. On the 18th, next Saturday, there will be uh, a training of the ambassadors. And we need more ambassadors. We can use more ambassadors. So please call Dottie Tile or email her or call the church office. There are two places in the bulletin that you can see all about Day of Hope and how you can participate. And also, there is a list of things that we can still receive and use for Day of Hope. And um, on Sunday, next Sunday at 5 o'clock, all who are willing and uh, happy to come and be a part of Day of Hope are invited to come and eat supper at 5 o'clock in, um, in the campus center. You don't have to RSVP. And also, we have... Oh, I think that's about it. Is there anything else?
students and adult advisors to come forward. Some of these young people and advisors are going on mission trip, urban mission trip, and some are going to Nicaragua, and some are going to Mount Reed, uh, for Mount Reed Conference Center to learn and to participate. So you can move very quickly. This is wonderful and exciting to see all of you, friends, that you are willing to go and respond God's call, whether you are responding to God's call by going to Mount Reed, which actually, by the way, some people call it Presbyterian Holy Mountain in North Carolinas, or globally and locally you are going to do mission. So we are commissioning you in the name of Christ and in the name of your church family. And let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that you would bless these students and their leaders who are responding to your call. Be with them, open their eyes and their hearts to what you are doing in the world, we pray. Place upon them your commission to learn, to relate, and to serve. Give them the grace to be open and loving in all they do, we pray. And bring them safely back again to us as they integrate what they have learned and share with us what they have experienced. We also pray for those who are ill this day, our loving God. We pray that you will touch them with your comforting and healing hands. We pray for those caught in desperate situations around the world. Hear their cries and move us to be a part of your help and mercy, we pray. Be with those who lead us and those who protect us. Give your protection to sisters and brothers in Christ around the world and bless all those who serve in mission near and far. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as you see them leaving, I would like you all to know that they are going to be prayed for in the garden worship as well. You may now leave. And as our young people and the leaders are leaving, um, that's where they are going, I would like to invite us all to continue to worship God through the giving of our tithings and offerings.
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your blessings that are as many as raindrops in a monsoon rain. At this moment in worship, we are so grateful and we bring a token of our gratitude and love to you in these offerings. Accept these in ourselves and our prayers for your glory and for the benefit of your children near and far. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated as Laurie and our children come forward for children's sermon. Good morning. Wow. Nice, good morning, good morning. I'm so glad you guys made it out from the rain. Good job. We might have to take our shoes off when we go to kids' worship, and we are going to run across through all the puzzle puddles to get up there. So, okay, so we are continuing our whole series on Psalm 23. And I don't know if you guys know this, but we often use that psalm in memorial services um, or in funerals when people have died. And I think we need to reclaim that psalm because if we memorize that and we say that to ourselves any time that we feel some kind of darkness, that we feel afraid or scared or just sad, that it will comfort us. But we kind of have to understand it if we're ever going to use it for our own lives. So think about King David. So David wrote this psalm. Does anyone know what David did before he became king? It had something to do with sheep, taking care of sheep. <laughs> the hands are getting ready to just shoot up into the air. What's the guy called that takes care of a sheep? Oh, Sophie. A shepherd, that's right. So David was a shepherd. So a shepherd has very special tools that he uses to take care of his sheep. So I'm going to give you our next verse. It's verse 4. Listen carefully and see if you can hear any tools. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Do you hear any tools that a shepherd might use? Yes, Grace? A rod. a rod. Nice. Did you hear another one, Steph? A staff. A staff. A rod and a staff. It's very important to understand the tools if we are going to understand the psalm. So, if I had a wooden spoon and a spatula, what might my job be? What do you think, Sam? Cook. A cook. Yeah, a cook, maybe a mom, you don't know, but I was thinking one that got paid, like a cook. And there's different things that you do with these tools, right? If you used a spatula, what might you do with a spatula? What do you think, so? Flip pancakes. Flip pancakes, absolutely, the wooden spoon. Now, my mom had a special, <laughs> use this for a special tool, which you probably don't know anything about. But what might you do with the wooden spoon? Um, stir stuff. Stirring stuff, right. And then what if I were a home fixer-upper kind of gal, and I had a hammer and a paintbrush. You know what I would do with those tools, right? Do you know, Thomas, what I'd do with this hammer? Yes, you do. That's right. And I would pound those nails, or I would paint those walls, so you would understand. So, back to those shepherd's tools. There was a rod and a staff. What kind of animals might come and try to eat my sheep? Can you think? 
of any animal that might want to come. A wolf. A wolf might come and try to eat. Matthew, you have another one? A wild cat. A wild cat. And so I would use my rod. Whack, 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 whack. Get back those wild animals to protect my sheep at all costs. And then I learned about the staff. Sheep aren't that smart. They'll be like walking along, doo 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 doo, and just like fall into a hole. So a shepherd could use the staff and gently pull them out of the hole and get them right close to them. Or, Anna, if you were my favorite little sheep and you were just kind of scared because of the thunderstorm, I would gently put it around your neck and gently pull you towards me so that I could be close to you and give you comfort. That's what a shepherd did for his sheep. That's what David said God does for us. He protects us. He comforts us. And that's what the psalm reminds us of. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for always being with us, but we also thank you that you give us parents and grandparents and other adults that love us and protect us and comfort us. Thank you for never, never leaving us alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Right about now, some of you are wishing that I was preaching on sunshine instead of water. <laughs> I'm just in sales, not management. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but we do have a word from the Lord for us today. So if you would uh, get the water out of your ears and open your hearts with me to the word of God. John chapter 5, it's page 96 in your pew Bible. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, which has five porticos, or porches. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there such a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Really? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And, and while I'm making my way, someone always steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, stand up, take up your mat, walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat, and he began to walk. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine, if you would, a pool, and this pool bubbles occasionally. And the idea is that if you can get down into this pool, that it will heal you of whatever ails you. Whatever, even if it's paralysis, I mean, whatever it is that has made you ill, if you can just get to this wonderful, magical water, this bubbling water, it will heal you. Isn't that a wonderful idea? Now, you have to, you know, you have to hit it just right because water, as this baptismal font when you when Steve baptized right here right some of you remember that last March water is this beautiful thing and imagine this pool with the water coming into it just right and on that day no one else was in the pool it was reserved for one guy and with all the friends in the world they gently eased him down into the bubbling water this guy who's paralyzed, all of his friends not jumping in front of him, letting him get all the way in there, letting it soak. And then they pulled him out of the water. And you know what happened? Nothing. He was the most powerful man in the world. His name was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in the 1940s, while the world is falling to pieces, he's trying to help hold it together, but occasionally he would go with his entourage to the warm sulfur springs in South Georgia, where there was this warm, bubbling pool with the reputation that it could even heal polio and paralysis, which FDR had. But for all the promise, they just brought him out wet like you walking into church today. It's a terrible thing to expect of water what it can't give you. 
But that being said, water is really, really important. I mean, it is so important. It is so life-giving for us. From what I understand, our bodies are mainly composed of water. In fact, when we are born, 70% of our body's makeup is water. When we're middle-aged, it's about 55%. When we're older-aged, it's about 45%. Friends, we are literally drying out. <laughs> and maybe that's the reason that they always are saying to us, you need to drink so many glasses of water. In fact, they say if you do it, it'll take wrinkles away. How's it working? <laughs> mm. And you can go for quite a while without food, but you can't last very long without water. It is essential to who we are, but not only is it how we stay alive, it actually is how we keep our spirits alive, right? How many of us live in Florida and are aware that there's an ocean close by, right? And every developer in Florida has realized if you just dig a hole in the ground and fill it up with a little bit of water, you can sell it as lakefront property, right? Because the most expensive property is the one that has some kind of water looking out over your lanai. And if you can't afford water right on the gulf, at least you can look over some little pond, right? Because there's something about water that's just restorative. You ever go to the hotel and you try to book the, you know, the, the rooms? What does the full ocean view room cost? You know, more than I could ever afford. So we would go for the partial ocean view, which is code for if you stand up on the toilet and look through the little window, you might be able to see the ocean. If you can't afford that, there's the, well, you can hear the ocean view. And then there's the garden view, which is the beautiful looking over the dumpster view. But the point is the water makes things more valuable because just looking at it makes us feel better. And the truth is, even when that water's bubbling, it does, it does almost heal. If you have a stroke or a sports injury, hydrotherapy is one of the things that will be given to you to try to help restore and nurture those injured limbs. In fact, in fact, let me name for you the way God created our bodies. One of the greatest pleasures the human body can possibly experience, and I waited until the kids were gone to say this, one of the greatest pleasures the human body can experience is to remove snow skiing boots and dip down into a jacuzzi after having those instruments of torture strapped to your feet all day long. And as you ended the day saying, I will never ski again. But after a little while in that jacuzzi, you find yourself saying, I wonder what time the lift opens up tomorrow. I mean, somehow that bubbling water really did just sort of rejuvenate us. And there's something powerful. Right about now, I'm sensing there's going to be a rush to the, either the water fountain or the restroom when we're done here. Because it does, there's life to it. If you look at the pictures of, the, of, the, of Earth from space, what do you see? This incredible blue, 70% of our globe, water, and how stark a contrast to the rest of the planets. What's the rover looking for up there right now in Mars? By the way, the right answer to every question I ask is water. He's not looking for Martians, he's looking for water. Because where there's water, there's life, right? Because there's something, there is something special about water. There was this governor in Puerto Rico who really got ousted from Puerto Rico, and so he left with a band trying to find something better than Puerto Rico. He landed in what's now called St. Augustine. His name was Ponce de Leon. They said he was looking for the fountain of youth, probably looking for gold. 
But he was, but let's say, Fountain of Youth, which spring breakers have been coming to Florida ever since looking for. But this search for magical water. Did you see the movie in the 1980s called Cocoon? Do you remember that movie? It deals with the same myth. That somewhere there'd be some body of water that could just make you young again, right? And in that movie, there was this alien space egg that would, you know, that some people found, and they put it in the, this retirement village had a, had a, a pool, and they put it down in there, and it turned the entire pool into liquid Viagra. And <laughs> watch the movie. And all of a sudden, people felt young again. It's a crazy, wonderful, persistent myth that somewhere there's some water somewhere there's some water that'll make it all right again now in our text in John chapter 5 that we listened to just a moment ago that same myth is at work in the story there is a pool outside of Jerusalem that is not a myth in fact the pool is in the shape of a trapezoid those of you former engineers will know what that is Otherwise, find a fifth grader. They'll show it to you. But a trapezoid is a four-sided figure that's just not parallel on the sides. Anyway, so there's a shape of a trapezoid pool. Archaeologists have found and excavated this very pool. And around the four sides were, color, were, were colonnaded porches. And bisecting down the middle, there was another one. So there were five porches around this trapezoidal pool. And it was the pool called Bethesda or Bethesda. And this was a pool where the Tradition was you could come and maybe get healed. Now, it wasn't in the text, if you were listening carefully. What's called John 5, verse 4, if you look in your Bible, page 96, you'll see it in your Bible too. The oldest and best copies of the Bible that we have do not have verse 4. And that's the reason I didn't read it, because I agree with those scholars. I don't think it's originally part of God's Word. But it did creep in to some of the more later versions of Scripture as people were writing them down. And so we don't think it's original. But here's what verse 4 said. That around this pool where all the lame and the paralyzed were, verse 4, the controversial verse said, that occasionally God would send an angel to stir the surface of that pool at Bethsaida. And when God did send the angel to stir it, the first one down into the pool would be healed of whatever ailed them right? So that's that verse. Now again, I don't think it's there, not only textually, our best versions of Scripture don't have it, I don't think it should be there theologically. Because now think about it. If God were in charge of the pool, is this the way the God you know in Jesus Christ would offer out healing? Think about this. God would be sneaking up on us when we're not watching, sending an angel under cover of darkness or something, stirring the water, and then setting us against each other in competition to see who can get to it first. Because the idea of this water is there's not enough for everybody, and when it's out, it's out, because once it's emptied out, there's no more, right? But what God's trying to say is, oh, no, no, there's more. Just because you think it's empty... Just because you think the water's just for one, there's enough for everybody. But according to this legend, there wasn't. There was only enough for one. Now, this is not the way God would do healing, but I do think it's the way the world does healing. Come to our hospital, we advertise. But first, fill out a financial form so that we know for sure you're well healed before we try to heal you, right? Come to our elite private school. But first, take a test to make sure you're already a genius before we try to teach you, you know. 
come to our church. Come to our church, but first, though we'll let anybody in the door, before we really let you into our hearts, we want to make sure you can recite the Apostles' Creed by heart. We want to make sure that no matter where you're from, you're one of us. You're our kind of folk. We want to make sure that though all of us need some healing, we want to make sure that we're pretty well healed to come to the pool. That would probably be the way we'd be tempted to do a pool. But it's not the way God does a pool. Because the God we know in Jesus Christ is a God who says there is always enough. In fact, there's more than enough. If you think things are empty, you think it's scarcity, I'm telling you there's abundance. I don't offer the mercies and the grace and the healing for just the early and the quick and the aggressive and the few. In fact, if this true were true, who would get healed? Would it be the guy who had been there for 38 years who's paralyzed on the back row? Would he ever make it down first? No. It would be the kid from the diving or swim team in high school who just has acne. He would get in first because it would be the healthiest who would get in first, right? Is that the way God does healing? No. Look at what Jesus does. He comes to this pool. And by the way, if you're thinking of the Ritz or some great resort with tanned bodies working on their, their tan, this is not that kind of resort. This is kind of like the last resort. <laughs> this pool is where you go when you've got nowhere else to go. When you've used up all your money with the physicians, when you stay up late at night and put your hand up against the TV preacher's screen and order the prayer cloth, when you've gone to the Bahamas or Switzerland to get the treatment that's not even approved yet in the U.S., when, you said every, when you've gone to Sedona and meditated over rocks, when you've done everything you can possibly do and you have no other choices, this is where you ended up. It was the last step on the miserable descent to the end, this pool. And the man who'd been there longer than anybody else was this guy in the story. 38 years, he has been paralyzed at that pool. 38 years. By the way, this is the oldest recorded illness in all of Scripture. In case you get involved in a late-night Bible trivia game with Minji or something, you might need to know this. It might be a bonus point. So this is the longest illness recorded in Scripture. 38 years. 38, he's like that six-year graduate student. He's a crusty old curmudgeon who's been there forever, seen it all. He doesn't even try to get in the pool anymore. Who does Jesus go to when he goes to the pool? He goes straight to the guy who's been there for 38 years who has completely given up hope. Jesus always starts at the back of the line. So now he's standing in front of this guy. And he's saying, do you want to be healed? And what he's doing is he's stirring the surface of his mind. Do you want to be healed? It's an interesting question. The guy who's learned how to be a victim. You ever known people who are really good at victims? Everything's somebody else's fault. Oh, yeah, but there's always somebody else who gets down in front of me. You know, he's just moaning and complaining. And Jesus is saying, well, put all that aside. What I want to know is today, right now, do you really want to be healed? Do you really? Because while you're trying to stare at a body of water, as great as water is, there's just still some things 
Oh, don't you wish you had some? But there's still some things water can't do for you. And actually, right in front of you, here's the great irony. I am the water of life. What you're really thirsting for is me. By the way, in the original language, in the Greek language, the, the word for paralyzed, that's translated as paralyzed, the Greek word is zeron, X-E-R-O-N, zeron. And literally, it's the word for dry. The Xerox Paper Company got their name from this Greek word because they came up with a dry paper copying system. It's the word dry. This man is paralyzed and lame, but the image is graphic. What he's described as is dry. Imagine his limbs atrophied through the years and they look like brittle, dried up twigs. But it's not just his body. His spirit is parched, dry. I'm from Texas, I know about this. The, lunar, the, the Mars lunar thing is coming to our t- state next. But he's dry, and Jesus is the water of life. And here's the irony. Throughout the entire Gospel of John, every single chapter is awash in this water imagery. You can, you can, just, you can dive in anywhere. Chapter 1, there's a baptizer there, and they're sloshing around in the water. In chapter 2, There's these six big buckets, and they're at a wedding, and it's filled with water, and Jesus turns it into wine. Some of us, our favorite scripture passage. And then in chapter 3, there's Nicodemus, and Jesus says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And in chapter 4, there's a woman by a well, and and he says, if you only knew, if you only knew me, you wouldn't have to come here to draw anymore. Oh, give me that water, sir. And in chapter 5, there's this story at the pool. And in chapter 6, he's walking on water. And in chapter 7, he's in dialogue with the Pharisees. And he says, I am the water of life. Anybody who drinks from me will never thirst again. And in chapter 9, he spits a little water and heals a man born blind and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And in chapter 11, he's in front of the disciples and he's got a basin of water and he's washing their feet. And so by chapter 19, when they crucify him and they place a spear through his ribs out comes blood and of course like Robert Redford's movie a river runs through it I mean you can take the gospel of John and just wring it out there's water every chapter he is the very water of life is Jesus Christ he is the one we're thirsting for everything else is slaking our thirst with salt water And he, the water of life, in front of this dry man, is asking the question, do you really want to be well? It's not a cruel question, and it's not a trick question. It's an invitation. But the truth is, a lot of us don't want to be well. Imagine Johnny, he's a third grader. In fourth period, he's got a math test. It happens to be that morning he doesn't feel good at breakfast. He starts feeling much better right about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But if you were to ask Johnny at breakfast, well, son, if you'll just eat some, you'll feel better. Well, do you really want, do you want to be, do you want to feel better? Uh, Not, no, not really, not right, not right yet. (laughs) Mama, we've come to visit you. It's Tuesday. Here are the kids. Here we are. We've come to visit you here at the home, Mama. Here we are. And Mama starts reciting all of the aches and the pains and all the body parts that don't work and all the how long it's been since last Tuesday and you know. Mama, do you really want to be healed? Really? Oh, I don't know. She might say, I 
my aches and pains are kind of my only company. I've gotten used to them, and I'm afraid if I didn't have those, you wouldn't come at all. Whining about being underemployed or unemployed, and that's become my main employment. Do you really want to be healed? And all that goes with that, do you really want to take up your mat and walk? Really? Do you? Are you willing? Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we are clinging to the very thing that's killing us, that is drying out our spirit, the grudge we will not let go, that we keep alive like a pet snake under a rock, the belief that all men or women can't be trusted after the last time I got hurt and I recite that so much I'll never risk again. The fact that I've been wounded and done wrong by my former business partner and I love rehearsing that and every single night I go to bed thinking about how much he still owes me and I don't want to let him go because he deserves my anger. And he's sleeping just fine, by the way. Do you really want to be healed? Jesus is asking us. Really? And this guy, God bless him, this guy said, why sure, I'll give it a go. And, and he, like a baby deer, you know, he, he stood and he rolled up his mat and he walked. And I have a hunch by the time he was done, he was dancing, right? How great was that? The wonderful joy of what it means to get into contact with Jesus Christ and to really slake our thirst on the water we most need that will most heal us is something that just sets us so free. I was working with a church in Destin, Florida, First United Methodist Church of Destin, Florida, and the pastor there told me this wonderful story from a Bible study group of men. There was this man whose job, his official spiritual task, was to bring the donuts for the men's group. You know, otherwise men won't come to Bible study. So, he brought the donuts, and so he would go through the Dunkin' Donuts little pickup line, and he would get the donuts, and every, everybody had their own special donut. And one time, the little gal, you know, a little 17-year-old uh, gal, uh, messed up the order, and he realized that, and so he swung back around because he was just irate. I mean, how can she not get this right? He just can't get good, good help anymore, and so he just, he's in a fuss by the time he has to wait and get it again. He really lays it into her because she deserved it. She messed up his order. And uh, as he, he drives off, he remembers he has this bumper sticker that says, follow me to Destin United Methodist Church. Because <laughs> she's kind of crying a little bit after he wears her down. And so somewhere between there and the church, he started really thinking about that. And the Holy Spirit mashed on his heart a little bit. And by the time he got to the Bible study group, he told the guys what he had done. And he said, man, I just feel terrible about it. Really, when I came back around, I realized the young teenager was pregnant uh, Hispanic girl, I, she could barely understand me, me, her, but I could tell that much at least, even though we didn't speak the same language. And guys, he said, here's what I'm going to do. You can join me if you want to, but next Sunday I'm going to go back through there and I'm going to bring her a baby gift. I'm wondering if what we should be doing is offering her a baby shower. Well, next Sunday morning, 46 cars lined up from that Bible study group not a one of them ordering a donut, but every one of them piling into her little cubicle one baby gift after another. And she's weeping again, but a different kind of tears. And she's calling up her boyfriend saying, you won't believe 
what just happened. And every one of those cars had a little bumper sticker that said, follow me to Destin United Methodist Church. And there's just a chance that she might. Because every once in a while, every once in a while someone gets it and they dive into the deep end of grace and they find out that there's so much of God's love for everybody, there's always more, enough to not only soak me totally, but to slosh over on you too. And the greatest joy we'll ever have is to jump into the pool with Christ all the way in, all in. In fact, if like me, you have experienced that kind of life, then you know what I mean. Like I used to say to my kids when they were little on the edge of the pool, come on in, come on in. I've already tested it, and the water is fine. Amen.
a moment of personal privilege. These last several Sundays I've had the chance to be with you have been such a treat for me. And I see now why all of you have come and why you stay. You have just loved me into your presence. Those of you with the spiritual gift of hugging, thank you for that. Your wonderful congregation. Love your pastor, and I've fallen deeper in love with you. So thank you for that. Remember, remember, no matter what anybody tells you, there is always more, always more. There's always enough. Friends, Whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever it is that's drying us out, let it go. Rise. Let's take up our mats and dance. Mm -hmm.